Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And we have been on a journey today, my guest and I, um, which we are just about to tell you all about. Um, but this is the first time in the history of the universe that I am having a repeat client, that's not it, a repeat guest on here. Dr. Therese Moscardo, founder of Exploring Therapy, is back with us. If you do not recognize her name, or if you do, she is from episode 58 of the Refined Collective podcast, How to Marie Kondo Your Mental Health. And I just loved that conversation so, so much. And evidently you guys did too, because it was one of the most downloaded episodes of the year. So I wanted to get her back on to talk about more mental health stuff, mindset, shifting those internal insecurities and narratives. So without further ado, Dr. Trees. Hi. <laughs> like like oh we haven't God. done this 10 times before right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am still just excited as the first time. I know. Thank you so much for having me back. This is so exciting. I love your podcast. You have some of the most amazing powerhouse human beings on it. So I, I almost am feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome myself. Being oh, the guest we'll time. Talk, maybe we'll talk about that today. <laughs> um, I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. Like I have a podcast of almost two years and we, it is now, we have been trying to rec- just to start recording this podcast for almost two hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the what? Like lots of cuss words on my end um, <laughs> that I really want to say on here, but I also don't want an explicit um, podcast rating. You have been extremely patient and gracious <laughs> through this very harrowing, technologically difficult ordeal. I just want to say that. <laughs> I, I, harrowing is a, the perfect word for it. And I feel like I have... I honestly feel a little bit like validated as like a human because I know I'm a millennial. I should know how to use technology, but I constantly feel like I am like one wrong button away from like not knowing how to like use my computer or like deleting the whole thing or like (laughs) blowing it up on accident. Like, and so I just feel like I'm like, okay, I feel like you and I are like kind of in this together. (laughs) Um, confession, this is why I pay for iCloud just because I don't know how to properly get the pictures off safely off of my camera. So I just need that extra storage space, you know, as a backup plan. 
we just need a backup to the backup to the backup plan. And we are literally on like plan Z of like, all right, the internet wasn't working, so we couldn't record there. So let's try this. Now let's try this. So all of that to say is if you're listening to this specific episode, it's only because we really, really, really love you and we we love this message and we decide like I feel like our friendship just like got to a deeper level because we like worked through some adversity yes adversity (laughs) um so for those who didn't listen to last podcast you have such a unique life um we met years ago in LA when you were working for a church and now you just have this like jet-setting, incredible life as a therapist. And could you just tell us like how and why and how does this work? And like, how do you meet with your clients if you're like running all over the world? Sure, absolutely. So I am a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for over a decade. And in April of 2018, I decided to create my business, which is called Exploring Therapy. And Exploring Therapy is a community that I dreamed up that's all about building a life you don't need a vacation from. And I built it because I realized so many people were making comments about like, waiting for Friday, can't wait for vacation, can't wait for the weekend. And I thought, gosh, it's so unfortunate that the bulk of our lives we're trying to like fast forward through to Mm. get to the part that feels good to us. So that was really where this community was, um, that was the idea this community was born out of. And exploring therapy is a play on words. So it's the idea that people who are interested in exploring mental health and wellness um, might be a part of this community and want to talk about that with us. So we do talk about, you know, mental health and wellness and therapy and all of those good things. But also it's a play on words because it's the idea that exploring and learning new things and discovering our world is also therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know my story, I'm a full-time digital nomad. So it means I travel the world full-time while I see clients online and it can be a really, really fun life. But I built my life this way because I realized I'm my best when I am learning new things and in different cultures. And I love, love, love to travel and it lights me up. And I will do this until it doesn't do that for me anymore. So I hope to inspire people, including other mental health professionals to also build their lives the way that helps them light up from the inside out. I think that is so, I mean, that inspires, that inspires me so much. And I think what stands out to me about what you just shared is this idea that so many of us, I did this for a long time in my life. Um, it's like we're waiting for our lives to start at one in, in one elusive time or like this ethereal moment of like one day when I have the money in the bank account or have the debt paid off or have the marriage or relationship I want, then I'll be the more full version of myself. Then I'll then I'll really start going for it. And I remember reading, I think it was Shauna Nyquist's book, Cold Tangerines. And she basically is talking about for most of her life, she was like waiting to be the thinner version of herself. And finally, she's like, my life is here today. Like it's right now. And it's Mm -hmm. unfolding in the everyday mundane and like big moments, but also just like the moments where she was you know, changing the diapers of her young children or putting the laundry in. And so, I mean, I just, I resonate with what you're doing so much personally, because I feel like for a really long time, I wasn't living my full life because I thought, well, my full life will begin when I get married. Cause I quote unquote felt called to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't necessarily being as wise with my money as I think as I told myself I would be if I was in a relationship. I wasn't vision casting for my business because I felt like, oh, I'll probably end up marrying someone someday soon that's really good with their money and has like a really good job. So my business can just be like a side hobby. So I wasn't taking my business seriously. I wasn't taking my calling seriously. And I wasn't taking like myself seriously. And Mm -hmm. I felt really challenged a couple years ago to like, you know, it's like life is now, like it's, it's not one, one day when. And I mean, I think so many of us wait to like 
they'll be like, we'll travel when we retire, you know, <laughs> like, I, mean, I think it's cultural, but I also just think it's like a, a disease of the, mm-hmm. I will be happy when, and you know, fill mm-hmm. in the blank, if it's marriage or whatever, it may be a, a certain type of career aspiration. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that it anchors our happiness and joy in the future instead of the present. Mm-hmm. And it's a lie because joy and happiness can be found in the present mm-hmm. if only we're willing to be present enough to yeah. realize it. Well, and I wonder too what what you think about this, but when you say that, what I also hear is like a victim mentality or a lack of, I'm not taking responsibility over my life. My life is happening to me as opposed to like, I can stand up and take ownership for my life. And yeah, we can't always be happy. You know, life is hard and unexpected things happen and they're very real painful circumstances that unfold in our lives. But Mm -hmm. I just, when I hear that, that's what I hear is like a lack of responsibility. In mental health, we use the phrase internal versus external locus of control. So it means where do you place your sense of control? Is it within yourself or is it, is it that your life is happening to you and you don't have any sense of control or responsibility and having an external locus of control is associated with depression and anxiety and having an internal locus of control is one of the things that we try to help people focus on when they're suffering from those things. Yeah. What would be like the first step towards developing? Is it locust or locus? Locust. L O C U S. Yeah, it's not like locust pose and yoga. Inner locust pose. Yes, it's not one of those like curses from the Bible. Yeah, no, nothing like that. Um, so what if if someone is having that external locus position and wanting to shift into that, what would be like a first step for someone to take? I think the easiest first step is is mindfulness. So it's remembering that you can recapture the control of your mind in the present moment. So I think that's step one. I think a really easy step two is practicing gratitude because gratitude is something that we can practice in any moment. I think those two things are a great way to begin to re-harness our sense of control within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. So practical too. Um, all right. You have another really cool thing that I would love for you to share about because I still... I'm learning about it too from you. Um, You just launched a a brand new program that Mm -hmm. I think is really, really going to transform a lot of lives. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I would love to. Yes. So it's called the Exploring Wellness Roundtable. Mm -hmm. And it was created because I kept noticing that so many people were having a difficult time um, accessing therapy, either due to stigma or due to finances. People were interested in really kind of working on their mental health and wellness, but felt like it wasn't as accessible to them. Mm. So I created something as an alternative. And the round table is essentially working on your mental health in the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee. Mm. So it's accessible, quick mental health. And the way that it works is that when people join the round table, they get access to an exclusive members-only Facebook group. And in that group, I share resources that I've created and curated for this group and people are in the group for things from over you know wanting to overcome difficult um, anxiety to wanting to just be more vulnerable and seek out support mm-hmm. to trying to reduce the overwhelm in their li- lives mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different things people are trying to work on but the group provides a source of accountability and support they get those resources that are created by me and then I do lives every month with the people in that group so that they can ask me any questions they have and we can really get personal. So mm-hmm. it's it's so exciting for me because it's a way for me to reach more people and yet without it having to be something that's out of reach for people financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've just started the group in January and we are having so much fun. Um, we're setting intentions this month, of course. Mm-hmm. And so just people opening up and sharing about what they want out of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we're having a good time. Wow. That's, it's almost, it sounds like a mastermind almost like a, like a members only mastermind where people get like real access to a real psychologist. And, and then my question though, is like, um, what, (laughs) 
I'm, I'm thinking like about being in like small groups or recovery groups mm-hmm. where like crosstalk is not encouraged of like, I'm sharing this and then other people like are trying to fix me as opposed to yes. like, so that's Wait. what I'm interested in about like being in that group setting is like everyone trying to like help and fix each other or like, what does that look like? Yes, that's a great question. So we have a policy of no unsolicited advice giving. Mm. Even from me. And so, you know, my philosophy about uh, what a ther- what role a therapist plays is that we're a guide. But I also want to invite the clients that I work with to see themselves as expert on themselves. And so we also talk a lot about ways to just retrust yourself and reconnect with your intuition. Mm-hmm. So I see myself as a guide. I think the other members in the group are, can also serve as guides to their own experience and, and what they've learned to overcome, but only when it's invited. So yeah. no unsolicited advice giving. But if people ask, which they're encouraged to do, then you can chime in and share, hey, in my experience, this is what's worked for me. That's super helpful. I feel like with my girlfriends and I will be like, one of us will be like having a breakdown mode. Like I'll call them and be like, oh my gosh, like this is happening. My life is over. And we have like this language with each other where we say, okay, how can I support you right now? Or Mm -hmm. what do you need from me? And if I'm like, I don't know what you need, I don't know. Or sometimes I do know. Um, and then if, and then the next question is, do you want me just to listen? Do you need to process or do you want feedback? Like help me know how to support you. And that's been like really, really helpful. Cause sometimes you do just want to like, I just need to process and like uh-huh. not be like an evolved self. I need to like, <laughs> like we all vent. need that. Yes. Mm-hmm. We all need time to vent. And I, you, People can't see me right now, but if listeners could see me, they would see that I'm smiling really big because I am so jazzed that you have such an amazing, uh, what sounds like an amazing group of women that support each other. Mm -hmm. And you're doing something that I have the utmost respect for, which is you're trying to meet each other where you're at Mm -hmm. instead of trying to push off the, you know, the, the things you think that the other needs. And it's just the highest form of respect for one another and love. And so I love that. That's so cool. Oh, thanks. Well, my um, Myers-Briggs is ENFJ and that J part of it makes it really hard when someone else is talking to me because I'm like, well, it's black and white. Here's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> just so unhelpful. And like, Girl, you're talking to another ENFJ. So I totally get it. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's very, very clear. Just do what I say and your life will be fixed. Like, oh, why doesn't anyone want to be friends with me? <laughs> Sounds like you've learned some things along the journey. Oh, it's a journey. Um, Well, that is super exciting. I'm so glad that you are doing the wellness roundtable. Let's talk about imposter syndrome. Um, One of the biggest reasons why I wanted to talk with you about it is because I've. It's one of the biggest things I've struggled with in my life, Mm -hmm. and I was a collegiate athlete. I played at a division one college, full ride scholarship. And the whole time I was there, I didn't feel like I belonged there. And because of that, I self-sabotaged. And I remember when I walked away from tennis being like, I hope I never do that again. And it was only in hindsight that I could see, oh my gosh, obviously I belonged there. Like there was evidence, there were results, but like I just belonged there. And I... I knew there'd be other opportunities in my life to be confronted with that feeling of like being found out or a, a fake or imposter or whatever. Enter me signing my book deal in the fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. The whole process, I'm like, I haven't written a book. I can't do this. Like, I'm just wait, I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop or like waiting for my editor to be like, yeah, you do not know how to formulate a sentence. And it was like these old voices kind of coming up again of like, you are fake. You can't do this. You don't have what it takes. And I was like, oh, goody. This is when I get to rewrite that narrative. Like I get to see the evidence that I do belong here and I can do this and I can step into this and rewrite that neural pathway for myself. Um, but it's hard. Um, it's hard to like push past that. And as I've, as I've been navigating that again, I just thought, man, I bet so many people are navigating it too. And 
it would just be awesome to hear from an expert <laughs> like <laughs> you. Yes. Well, you are in good company. If you feel like you have imposter syndrome, it means that you're in company with the likes of Michelle Obama, Jennifer Lopez, Sandra Day O'Connor, Maya Angelou. I mean, there are so many famous people who have opened up sharing about how they feel the sense of being an imposter. And in fact, studies now show that up to 70% of people, all people, experience this psychological phenomenon at some point in their lives. Mm. So just a little bit more about what it is, if you're not familiar with it. The term was coined by researchers in the 70s. And at the time, they were studying high-achieving women specifically. But since then, they've discovered that this really impacts men and women equally, and lots of them. So there are four main elements to imposter syndrome. The first one is feelings of inadequacy. So that's the feeling like you're a fraud, feeling like you don't belong. I think you said you felt some of those things in, in, as a college athlete. Mm. The second one is second guessing yourself. So you feel a lack of self-confidence and you have doubts in your abilities, your experience, your education, or your training. The third factor in imposter syndrome is you dismiss your accomplishments and praise and you see them as luck, timing, or you see that you're deceiving people. You actually think you've tricked people into seeing you as qualified. And lastly, all of those thoughts lead to feelings of fear and anxiety. And so you'll feel like you have something to prove. One of the things that shows up a lot with imposter syndrome is overcompensating. So going above and beyond, way further than you need to go because you have something to prove. You can compare yourself inaccurately. So you see yourself as less compared to others, or you see others as way more qualified than you, when in actuality, when you compare resumes, you're exactly the same. And then another element that can come up when you're feeling that fear and anxiety is perfectionism. So you can have difficulty making decisions. You will be afraid to ask for help because you think it invalidates you or it will reveal that you don't belong there. And for the same reason, you're afraid to ask questions. Wow. There's so much there. Um, mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I was just wondering if like 70% of all humans have this very common experience, where does that come from? Like, is there, are there any like commonalities of like this sort of home life or if you've experienced this in your life, like what makes someone doubt themselves or not trust themselves or think, oh, you know, I, I have to be perfect to be here. Right. Well, there are some factors that are associated or correlated with imposter syndrome, but keep in mind when 70% of the population is experiencing it, it's a lot of things. And so I think, uh, I think one thing everyone needs to know, especially if they're dealing with feeling imposter syndrome is that insecurity is experienced by all human beings. Mm -hmm. We all feel insecure. It's a part of being just a normal human, but the power the voices of insecurity have is largely dependent on our environment and upbringing. So there can be lots of different factors that can really highlight those voices of insecurity and make them stronger in our minds. Mm. One of those factors that's very significant is culture. So for example, a, a stereotype that comes up a lot is women aren't good at math or women aren't good at tech. If you're told those voices your whole life, of course, you're going to have a harder time believing that you could be good at those things. Um, Michelle Obama was refer- was talking about her cultural experiences being a Black woman. And she said, I still feel that at some level, I have something to prove because of the color of my skin, because of the shape of my body. Who knows how people are judging me? So you know, when you have a culture that doesn't affirm you, or you don't see examples of people that you can identify with who are in similar roles. You know, there are so many different ways that culture can give us the message that we are less worthy to be there. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I think is very relevant to what's happening right now in the social media world is that we live in a world of success stories. Mm-hmm. So because of Instagram and the way that it works, it's a very visual medium. We see the wins. We don't see the hard work. We don't see the insecurities. We don't see the failures that happen to get there. So we think that just by having insecurities, it means that we don't deserve a seat at the table. 
This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean $0, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. And I think with the social media too, like it's that balance of, well, do I want to air my dirty laundry or Mm -hmm. like I'd really try to teach from or like share from a space of like this being a scar, not a scab. So Mm -hmm. like some people online share things like in the moment, I really try to like protect more, the more painful stuff I'm going through and like real life community for sharing it on the internet. Um, But I... I feel like with the social media, it's like, I mean, even you and I, you and I are friends and Mm -hmm. we've had conversations of like, oh, like, oh, it seems like you're just doing so great. And oh, your podcast is doing great. And I'm like, girl, I am (laughs) hanging on by a string here. And oh man, I just had that launch and it bombed. Like, but we don't share that online. Mm -hmm. And I mean, do you think we should be sharing more of that stuff online or like, how do we protect, how do we be honest with where we're at, but then not be living our lives for strangers? Like, mm-hmm. it just seems like it's a balance. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? It is a balance, but that's why I'm so grateful for friends and for women like you who, through your courage and sharing and being vulnerable, give us courage to share and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone share about her body insecurity or her, you know, struggles with dating and relationships or whatever, which suddenly just allowed me to feel that much more courage to share that part of my humanity. Mm -hmm. So this is why I love community so much. I see community as medicine because when you're in community and when you're around people who you let into your life and who you get to share in their lives as well, you get that opportunity to really be real with one another and let the walls come down. Mm. Mm. How, how do you find those safe people? Like, I feel like that's one of the biggest questions that I get from women online Mm -hmm. that listen to this podcast all the time. They're like, how Mm -hmm. do I make friends as an adult? (laughs) Like, they're like, I want community. I want to be real. I want that medicine, but Mm -hmm. how do I go? Like, it's like our, in college and before Mm -hmm. our lives are designed to put us in situations where we meet people. Mm -hmm. And I live in New York city and have been here for almost seven years now and experienced, man, you can be in around millions of people, be super lonely. Mm -hmm. How do we make friends? It is so much harder to make friends than adult, I think. And Mm -hmm. so I just want to normalize that and say, Hey, you're not alone. If that's something you're struggling with. 
I think there's a secondary question to this. So I, I could, you know, list off different things you could do to make friends like, oh, go to meetup groups and try out, you know, a different workout um, thing at the gym or, you know, take this class or whatever. But I think it's also important for us to look at what hangups we might have that mm. are keeping us stuck and in our comfort zone instead of trying those new things. Mm. And I think that's usually where people are more stuck. It's not that there's not opportunities for them to make friends. It's that there's usually some self-talk or fear or insecurities that are showing up saying like, oh, you're going to embarrass yourself or you don't want to look thirsty or you know all those things. And so we just stop ourselves from putting ourselves in a space of vulnerability to make friends. I saw something that I thought was very encouraging the other day. I'm in a Facebook group that has like thousands of women in LA and it's just a kind of very pro-women Facebook group. And a girl posted on there, all right, I'm tired of being alone. I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to put this out there. Who wants to be friends? And oh, I love it. when I checked it, I think she'd only posted it like a few minutes earlier. She had 176 responses. Wow. So what did she do? She All she did was she said, who wants to be friends? Because she was vulnerable and she knew that she needed to do that. So I was so encouraged by that. And I think really sometimes the answers are easier than you think. Mm -hmm. You just have to kind of get over those fears that are getting yeah. in the way. Right. Like my mom always said like to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Mm -hmm. And it's like the person willing to go there first, you know, like one mm -hmm. of my friends said it like, he was talking about like being in a small group with a bunch of guys and he shared something vulnerable. And he was like, I feel like I walked into a steam room and like, I didn't know you weren't supposed to go in naked. And he's like walking around naked and he's like, Oh man, everyone's covered up. Like, what do I do? But like when, like we, if we long for vulnerable, we get to be vulnerable. And if I want a friend, I get to be a friend. And I mean, I'm I'm in a space in New York. It's a very transient city, and I've cycled through different sets of friends as they come and go. And this last year, I've been almost back at square one. Like, are you my mommy? Are you my mommy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be my friend? Do yeah. you want to be my friend? And I'm like, man, I forget how vulnerable this is, but also mm -hmm. like tiring, and you know, mm -hmm. it it takes energy and. And um, I think that's normal too, Kat. Like I think, mm -hmm. especially in big cities, but really just for anybody, we sometimes trick ourselves into thinking that all friendships are static and they stay the same forever. I know mm -hmm. I've believed that, but the truth is that there is transition and turnover mm -hmm. and that people move and people have changes in their lives. And so really that's why it's so helpful to stay in a state of constantly seeking out new friendships and mm -hmm. keeping your you know, mind open to new relationships because, you know, everything changes. It's so true. The constant in our lives is change. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm always like, oh, this next, this next part of life will be a little more stable, a little more, a little more slow. And I, I, one of my favorite Oswald Chambers little, he has little quotes is he talks about gracious uncertainty that, mm -hmm. you know, all our, all around us can feel uncertain or be changing, but like we can be certain of who God is, um, mm -hmm. that like change is not going to stop. Um, and so to buckle up and <laughs> just, you're, this is kind of a tangent, but you're reminding me of this meme that I've been seeing go around, which is cracks me up. And the meme says adulthood is just saying things will get less crazy next week over and over again until you die. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That's <laughs> so good. It's so true, man. Okay. So you kind of brought up like imposter syndrome can arise out of, you know, different insecurities. How do we, I feel like often we just accept like, oh, I'm just insecure or, oh, I just have these this is the way things have been. And the picture I get in my head is that we kind of, it's like we have a broken leg and we don't set it, mm -hmm. but we learn how to walk with the limp. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like not buying that narrative anymore of believing that I have to live a life like blocked by my insecurities or limiting beliefs. So in specifically dealing with that imposter syndrome, what do you suggest doing with those insecurities? I think that what I've learned is that imposter syndrome is all in your head. Mm. Imposter syndrome is created out of the things that you tell yourself. 
And so I love what you said, Kat, when you said that it was a narrative that can hold us back because a narrative is a story. It's Mm -hmm. not always the truth. And in the mental health space, we use the term, the term limited thinking a lot. And limited thinking is that idea of not resetting our cast. It's saying, Oh, I'm, I'm hurt and I just can't fix it. And here I am. And it's a fixed mindset instead of looking for what can be and what's possible. It's, it's staying stuck. So because imposter syndrome is all in your head to start healing, you need to identify your self-talk and also what narratives need correction. Mm-hmm. The, the simple gist is to replace unhealthy narratives with healthy ones. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have self-talk that says, I don't belong here, replace that with thinking that says, I do belong here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna think of this, but I, with my clients, I jokingly refer to this as having white man confidence So it's this idea, you know, and I think I came up with the term when I had seen one of the documentaries on the fire festival. Mm, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which if you've seen it, it's unbelievable. Like a girl would never have pulled that off. She'd be like, you know, I don't have everything all like lined up. (laughs) I mean, it's much, it happens much less often with women, but Mm -hmm. it's this, this confidence that is befuddling of, yeah, I can pull that off. Oh, sure. And, you know, I've heard this a lot with when people are applying for jobs Mm -hmm. that women will only allow themselves to see themselves as qualified when they have 80% of the qualifications for the job and men when they have 20%. So it's this confidence of like, oh yeah, I can make that happen or I can do it. And so I invite women especially to have this kind of confidence of, you know, if someone can make the fire festival happen, and I know that was a total failure, but you at least deserve as much of a chance to experience failures in life. Mm. And um, I had a friend, my friend, Lisa Frame, um, she has a startup called Bippy and Bippy and her company, they were in an accelerator with Backstage Capital and Arlen Hamilton is the leader of Backstage Capital. And she's this amazing plus size black woman who's all about lifting up people that are marginalized. Mm -hmm. And Lisa told me that Arlen said, you deserve the opportunity to fail just as much as they do. Mm. And I loved that so much because as a person who has suffered from imposter syndrome and who is working on my own startup right now, I wanted to stop myself before I even got started so many times. Mm -hmm. And I love Arlen's perspective, which is, you know, it's, it's not even about succeeding 100% of the time. That's right. not the goal. It's just that you deserve as much of a chance, mm. even if you fail, as all those folks out there who think they can do everything when they have no qualifications. Yeah. And Michelle Obama said something similarly. She said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but she said she'd been at so many powerful tables and she's like, let me tell you, there's a lot of people that don't belong there. And she said that at every table, she thought she was the one that didn't belong. And then she said, after a little bit, she's like, nope, it's him. Yep. <laughs> I think I remember that from her book. Like where she's <laughs> like, oh, I've sat at a lot of powerful tables. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking about those narratives where, okay, so I'll, I'll make it personal. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started out in my photography career, it was and is a male-dominated industry. I had experiences that dictated my internal narratives or my limited thinking. Like when I would go to networking events and go up to a group of male photographers to introduce myself to essentially networks. Because if you have a relationship with other photographers, if they get a job and they're already booked, they're going to refer it to their friend. And so I would be trying to network with them. And it was like clockwork. I would walk up and instantly someone would say, oh, my wife, like my wife, this. And I'm, mm-hmm. I just would finally be like, no one's trying to be a homewrecker here. Like mm-hmm. I felt as though because I was a woman, my femininity was a liability in my industry. I would mm-hmm. never get the type of opportunities that men in my industry got. And that mm-hmm. be and it was based off experience, right? Like so some insecurities happen because of our experiences. And ultimately I 
I got to a point where I realized, okay, even if that feels true, like that's not serving me. It's really only keeping me stuck and small. And so I finally got to the place, even though I didn't see a lot of evidence um, that it was otherwise because it felt really true. I started thinking, you know what? Me being a woman is actually an asset to my business. Me being feminine means that when I go to photograph an editorial shoot, women can trust me because it's woman to woman and I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to be skeezy. And so once I started shifting that, it wasn't like overnight my business changed, Mm -hmm. but over a period of time, I started getting more and more and more clients and my business did end up really exploding, but it took me really pausing and being like, even if that thing is true, like, I wonder how many insecurities that people have that are based out of truth or true circumstances. So when you're saying to kind of like reframe that, what about the person who's like, well, like I, I took the test 10 times. I am not smart enough. Like, Hmm. you know, or like, I, I can't do like whatever it is. Like, how do you get out of that? when it feels true. So I think with imposter syndrome, the, one of the telltale characteristics of it is that you don't look at the evidence, Mm. right? So even though there's evidence to the contrary of your insecurities, you don't look at it. And so this is why one of my favorite ways to try to overcome imposter syndrome, which by the way, your example was a really great one because pioneers, those who are the first to do something, often suffer from it the most. Mm -hmm. So for those pioneers out there, I just want to encourage you too, that your story is such a great example of how you recaptured that narrative for yourself Mm -hmm. and you turned what you thought was a liability into an asset. And I think, you know, that message is really important for us to hear. But getting back to my point, one of the ways that you can help overcome your imposter syndrome is to surround yourself with peers and they can be there to not just tell you you're not crazy, you're not alone, or that you know remind you that you deserve to be there. But they can also say me too. So they can say they've mm-hmm. shared those feelings of insecurity and self-doubt too. And I think this is really, really important to remember when you struggle with receiving praise and acknowledging your own accomplishments. If you can receive criticism, then you need to be open to receiving praise. Mm-hmm. So if you trust them enough to criticize you and to receive that, And you need to trust them with the praise that they have for you too. Wow. That's a good word. (laughs) That is a, that's a good, that's, someone needs to pause that, rewind it and play, flip it around and reverse it. Like, well, that reminds me of, I've struggled with anxiety and that's not a secret. Um, And one of my coaches, one time she said to me, how good can you stand it? And I was like, what? I don't even know what that means. And she was like, what if you spent, you committed to spending just as much time thinking about the best case scenario Mm -hmm. or the possibility that you could succeed as you're spending thinking about all the worst case scenarios? Mm -hmm. And then she's like, and then on top of that, how good could you possibly imagine it to be? She's Mm -hmm. like, what if you just thought about that? just equally amount of time as you're spending thinking about I'm crappy and, you know, I'm going to, you know, experience a terrible anxiety attack when I do X, Y, Z. And that really challenged me because I would sit there and I would be able to have this like creative imagination about like Mm -hmm. why it wouldn't work or why I was such a fake. And I it had such a hard time and it's become such a discipline for me to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to imagine myself going out there and it going mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. and me feeling really good in my body and me feeling at peace, like in my, like in my, in my person mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and at peace up on stage. And it was really hard. And I didn't realize how much time I was spending on thinking and mulling over like mm-hmm. all the bad crap. That was such a great thing for her to do, which was she called you out in your thought distortions and Mm. you realized the disproportionate amount of attention and energy you were putting on all the things that could go wrong. And it's one of the most common thought distortions actually. So Mm. 
the way to overcome them best is just to ask questions. What if, right? Mm-hmm. So what if I succeeded? What if I belong at this table? What if mm. they don't belong at this table and I belong here more? Mm. Um, what if my qualifications are exactly what I need to succeed at this job, mm. right? So those what if questions can really help shift our mind around. One of my other favorite things to do is when you're having difficulties with owning your own accomplishments, Take your list, take your resume or take your list of, of achievements or qualifications and put them on someone else. So say, mm-hmm. okay, if Susie Q had this amount of photography experience and she'd been working this long or whatever, would I see her as qualified? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we take it off of ourselves and put it on a different being, we're like, oh, they're totally qualified. So that's how you know that you're suffering from a thought distortion and oh, not wow. seeing yourself accurately. Oh, that's so good. Uh Oh my gosh, Dr. Therese, you're the bomb.com. I just... <laughs> 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. Just kind of like wrapping up, is there anything else you feel like someone who is in the throes of struggling with feeling like an imposter, feeling fake. Is there anything else he or she can do um, to walk towards more wholeness? Absolutely. A couple quick tips. One, don't be afraid of being cocky. The chances Mm. of you being cocky are slim to none. So stop making that a thing. It's not a thing. Okay. Two, be aware of narcissism around you. People Mm. with imposter syndrome are very vulnerable to narcissism and narcissistic people or people with those tendencies. And Mm. those people, uh, people who have those tendencies can make Mm. you feel really small. So be very aware of that. I remember in grad school, I had people that graduated and they were so confident about themselves as psychologists. And I felt so insecure. I was like, oh, I still feel new at this. And Mm. I realized later on, um, I had a professor tell me they much prefer students who feel insecure and, and are teachable than the students who after four years of grad school think they know everything. Mm. So be, be aware of the narcissism around you. And then my last tip, if I can, I just have to say, if you need to work on your self-talk, listen to Lizzo. That girl is so amazing for self-confidence and rewriting that negative self-talk. She is like medicine for my soul. And hopefully everyone has heard her, but if you haven't, listen to Lizzo. She's incredible. So good. She's so good. One thing um, that just my my little chime in is I read Mindy Kaling's Why Not Me book a few years ago. And I don't know what brought it to my mind in the last few months, but when I was starting to feel insecure about like writing a book and moving forward in my career, I just started saying like, why not me? Like, why 
why not get the most amazing mm-hmm. book deal that mm-hmm. could ever happen? Like, mm-hmm. why not? Like, why wouldn't the guy that I'm attracted to be attracted to me? Like, just why not me? Mm-hmm. Um, living from that space. Um, and that, I don't know what it is about it, but it has supported me so much to like, when I'm feeling that moment of like, I could never, or I don't belong here. I'm like, why, mm-hmm. why not? Like, what what if what if I really really did belong here? So why not me? That is so. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. I haven't read that book yet, but I have to. That is so powerful, and that's why I love the power of questions mm. because it can create that that just slight mental shift that we need to get to a better place. Yeah. And so I love that. I feel like everyone should tattoo that somewhere on their body. Yes. Why not me? Yeah. Put it on my forehead. <laughs> and just like go to a mirror anytime and, feeling insecure. Yes. And why not you, right? Yes. Why not her? Yes. So good. Well, Dr. Therese, thank you for being on here again. Um, just wrapping up, where can people find out about what you're up to? Do you still have open enrollment for your um, round table? The roundtable enrollment is seasonal, so people can come check it out. But if not, they can join the wait list. And so please come and check it out. For more information about me, they can connect with me on Instagram at exploring.therapy or my website, exploringtherapy.com. We have a few more friends in our Patreon community, and I just want to give them a special thank you and shout out. Meg Poor, Justice Barker, and Francesca Pitaluga. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon community. And, you know, you guys truly are the reason why we're able to invest so much time and heart and resources into this podcast. So I just want to personally thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about and I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.